It's on? Yes, it is. Perfect. Okay. So our reading this morning is from Luke chapter 12, reading verses 1 to 12. Um, the words I'm going to read, um, they're God-breathed and they're his gift to us. Um, and I think I sometimes forget just how lucky I am to be able to read these in my own language and in a country where I don't fear persecution for being a Christian. Um, so let us just really reflect on that this morning as well. Um, we're told of God's love um, for us through these passages and God reveals his character to us through them. But we're also told of his judgment for those who don't follow him and listen to his words. So let us really settle our hearts and focus on this passage this morning from Luke 12, 1 to 12. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed in the rooftops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogue and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour, what you ought to say. This is the word of the Lord. Um, let us pray. Father, thank you that we're able to gather here this morning. Um, I thank you for this passage, even though, though it may be difficult to hear. Um, I pray that you will remind us that nothing is hidden from you, not even our deepest sins. Um, and I pray that you'll help us to become aware of these um, I pray that you will be with those who live in fear, anxiety, and depression. Help us to feel um, your presence and your comfort. Um, Lord, be with Andrew as he comes up to speak on this passage. Um, I pray that you'll bless him and speak through him. I pray this all in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Thanks, Lauren. Um, if, you're, if you are new or visiting with us, we're, we're just working our way through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, that tends to be what we do, and uh, which is quite nice because, because we're just working our way through the book, then I can't be blamed for saying all these hard things. It's kind of just there. We have, to, we have to deal with it. We have to face up with it. Uh, keep your Bible open at Luke chapter 12 as we work our way through this passage. Um, I wonder if I was to ask you the question, do you fear the most, uh, what your answer would be? Uh, what would you say if... If I said, what is your greatest fear? Uh, everybody lives with, with, with levels of fear, don't we? Um, maybe, it's, uh, maybe you're af afraid of being alone. 
Uh, maybe you're uh, afraid of, of not being financially secure. Maybe you're scared of spiders. Uh, maybe it's what other people think of you. That's a, that's a crippling one, you know. Maybe you're scared of death. Um, if you spend any time on social media, you've probably seen uh, all these life hack videos. They're really popular. Uh, and there was one recently that was 10 biggest fears that hold you back from living your best life. And it was ways to hack these fears, right? So a fear of failure. If you're afraid of being a failure, well, here's a life hack. You can hack your fear and how you can take these steps and not be afraid of being a failure anymore. Or another one was fear of losing control. Um, so here's some steps you can take to, to regain control for your happiness. And, and I'm not against uh, gaining wisdom or, or counseling, whatever it may be, but there's one thing that you never ever see in these kind of articles or videos, these life hacks, wisdom for life. And, and that thing is, there's never any biblical wisdom in them. You see, the Bible has a lot about fear. The scriptures make it clear that, 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 we're, that we're meant to have fear. And actually, when our fear is in the right place, when our fear is properly ordered, that we will flourish. But when our fear is, is out of place, when we're scared of the wrong things, uh, life goes wrong. It actually leads to flourishing. It leads to destruction. In fact, the Bible teaches that humanity's greatest problem is, is that we have misplaced fear. Our fear is in the wrong thing. The world's greatest problem is that we have no fear of God. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about in our passage this morning. This is yet another passage in this section of Luke's gospel where, where, where Jesus has given us all these warnings. And, and he's given us these warnings because they're important and we need to take them seriously. The consequences of not listening to these warnings or not paying attention to this uh, are severe. And right from the very start of the passage, we see that Jesus is saying, don't fear judgment of people, fear the coming judgment of God. Don't fear the judgment of people, fear the coming judgment of God. If you see in verses 1 to 3, right at the start, um, all these people are coming to see, there's so many people, Jesus were gathered and they were trampling over one another. And Jesus turns away from the crowds and looks at his disciples and he says to them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Now, we saw last week that the, the Pharisees didn't really fear God. Instead, they feared what others thought about them. They, they weren't really interested in what God thought of them. They really just cared about what other people thought about them. And this is why they loved the best seats in the synagogues, and, and they loved publicly donating money to the poor. They did this because their chief concern was not the, judgment of, or not the judgment of God, but the judgment of people around them. They had this misplaced fear, like so many of us do. They lacked a fear of the Lord and only fear judgment of their peers. And this is the path that leads not to life, but leads to destruction. You see, there's, there's kind of two, there's two ways here. There's a way of, of life that leads to closeness with God, intimacy with Him, and, and it's a way that follows after Him and His way, and it's to Him. The way that leads to life is to make your chief concern to be what God thinks, not what people think. And we all feel this kind of pull in these two directions, don't we? I know I do. The draw towards caring mostly about what other people think of you. So I'll give you an example. Last week... Uh, we, we talked about hypocrisy, and we're coming back to hypocrisy in a minute. And there's a funny story about hypocrisy in that. But 
I, 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 I did a great job uh, of, of recognizing some hypocrisy in my life. But then this week, I don't know how many people I've told about how good I am at realizing my hypocrisy. I've been like, hey, I had this hypocrisy, and so I did this and this. I've told like six or seven people, I was a hypocrite. <laughs> and then Jesus said, oh, you're going to have to teach about hypocrisy again this week. We care more about what people think than what God thinks. And in these first 12 verses of Luke chapter 12, Jesus turns away from his crowds and to his disciples. That's us. Because he knows that, that, that we feel this temptation, this pull to care more about what the world thinks than what our Heavenly Father thinks. And the lovely thing about it is that in verse 1, we see that Jesus actually walks the talk. He actually uh, practices what he preaches, doesn't he? This crowd of many thousands of people gathered together. There's so many people that they're tramp- climbing over each other, trample one another. And, and honestly, so many Christian leaders and churches would say, wow, what a success, you know? We love to men- measure ministry effectiveness by numbers. My fear of man often expresses itself in, in, in kind of caring about numbers. We love to think about how many people show up to our gatherings or, or prayer meetings or our intermissional communities, but, but Jesus is not impressed with numbers. He never teaches just to please the crowds. He often leaves the crowd to be with the small groups of disciples. And, and that's what he does here. Thousands of people stampeding to see him and hear him. And he just turns to speak to his disciples. And his point is this. Don't care about what they think. Care about what God thinks. Don't fear the judgment of man. Fear the coming judgment of God. And he says in verse 1, as the crowds are pressing and turns to the disciples and he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And we'll come back to leaven in a second. But he says, like this chapter, the Pharisees were only concerned with that outward cleanliness, while their insides were full of greed and wickedness. Does the exterior look clean? That's all they cared about. They do everything for people to see. Their concern was with people rather than with God. So they said one thing, but did another. That's what hypocrisy is. It's living a double life. It's when we praise God with our lips, but our hearts are far from Him. When we present an external picture that doesn't match our internal reality. And what's dangerous about hypocrisy is that it spreads, right? So this is, this is what the le- where the leaven comes into it. The leaven is not really, I don't know, I mean, James makes bread, I don't know, I don't know if it's a popular term anymore, but it feels like an old tiny word for the rising age in, in, in bread, the yeast. It spreads through the entire dough, and it's so powerful that it affects us today. And actually, it's not like a, a wee packet of yeast that you add water to and flour and makes the dough rise. The leaven that, 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 the leaven that they were used to was more like a sourdough starter, right? Everybody got into sourdough during lockdown. I didn't. Give me a white pan loaf any day of the week. I don't like bird bread, okay? I want soft, white, fluffy bread. Thank you. <laughs> as far as I understand it, I'm nervous because James is a bread expert, but the rising agent in sourdough isn't yeast. It's a little bit of fermented dough that has been left behind from each batch of bread. And it's just added to the next loaf and then the next and then the next and so on. And so every single loaf that comes from that starter is just passing on a little bit of leaven on and on and on and so it goes. And so even though in our day there aren't actual Pharisees around anymore, their leaven remains as a serious threat as it ever was. Mike McKinley writes about this and he says, 
whenever we Christians are tempted to pretend that we are more holy than we are, that's me saying, look how I've dealt with my hypocrisy. (laughs) Whenever we are willing to confess sin and ask for help, whenever we establish our own man-made rules as the standard for everyone's holiness, whenever we are comfortable with private sins as long as they don't come to light, in those situations, the leaven of the Pharisees is present. Like a sardo, it's a continued cycle on and on down through the edges. And Jesus says, beware. Beware of this. Because in verse 2, what does he say? Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. That's a thought, isn't it? Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. You see, the only grounds for hypocrisy is that we can hide the truth about ourselves. That's the only way hypocrisy survives. And Jesus is saying that's an illusion because the truth is that God sees all. There is nothing that is hidden from him. This is why he told Pharisees in chapter 11, verse 40, did, he, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? In other words, God made you, he knows you, and there's nothing hidden from him. Everything will be revealed. Whatever you've said in the dark will be heard in the light. Whatever you've whispered in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops, Jesus says. He's, he's reminding us of this coming judgment of God when, when one day each of us will stand before the Lord and give an account of our lives. Think about this. Each of us will stand before the Lord and give an account of our lives. And Jesus is calling his disciples to live in integrity. So when Jesus says, when before the Lord, and the Lord says, that thing you said, and then you did that other thing, or that thing you thought, and then you said that other thing. Disciples of Jesus don't say one thing and do another. Disciples of Jesus don't whisper things in private that they wouldn't want to be heard publicly. Disciples of Jesus live with integrity. They don't talk people's backs. Disciples of Jesus live upright, non-hypocritical lives. And this way of living doesn't come from being concerned about what other people think. If my primary concern is what other people think of me and, and how they're going to judge me, then guess what? I'm probably just going to say what I think they want to hear. Live in this way, upright, non-hypocritical lives with integrity. That comes from a fear of what God thinks. Because he's the one who sees all and knows all and will judge all. And so we have to ask ourselves again, God knocking on my head, are you a hypocrite? <laughs> Am I a gossip? Acting in, in, in one way in private, but presenting something else in public. Jesus says, do you fear God's judgment? To fear in the judgment of God is the first step in cultivating a fear of the Lord, Right? And, and sometimes we think of that the fear is that, that we should be um, almost flinching at his every movement. But that's not what fear is. The fear of God is, is, is a, a reverence and an awe. It's recognizing him for who he is. And a fear of his judgment, it's the first step in correcting our misplaced fear. Our chief concern should not be what people think of us, but rather what our heavenly father who loves us thinks of us. And so Jesus wanted to expand on this idea for his disciples. And he, he kind of preaches this mini-sermon in verses 4 to 12. And in these uh, eight verses, he lays out 
what I have called Trinitarian statements of fear and comfort in which he says that the consequences of fearing God are far worse than we think, but the rewards of fearing him are greater still. Let me tell you what I mean by that. It means that Jesus is going to break down for us fear of God into the three persons of the Trinity, okay? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this makes sense, right? Because the Father, Son, and Spirit are God, and so fear of God will involve all three. And under each one of those, he, he gives a statement of fear and then an accompanying comfort, okay? The Father, Son, and Spirit fear each one, and for each one there's a fear and a comfort. So firstly, we see fear the Father. By the way, if people, by the way when people say there's no Trinity in the Bible, point, you can point them to here. In the end, you also get a wee kick of judgment in as well, which is good. Um, firstly, fear the Father. We see this in verses 4 to 7. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, I love that he calls them his friends. Do not fear those who kill them, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows two pennies? Are not, and not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, you're of more value than many sparrows. Now, why, why is it that we are tempted to hypocrisy? Why, why do we gossip? Why do we say one thing and do another? It's because, as we've seen, we have a misplaced fear. We fear people instead of God. And Jesus says, friends, let me tell you where your fear should be placed. And he gives us two aspects of God's character that we must understand, embrace, and respect. Now, remember this. God is one, you can't, you, you, God is one essence. You can't divide him into good and bad. You can't divide him into two sets of characters. Uh, both his love and his judgment are all part of the same good God. So Jesus says his terrifying power on one hand and his trustworthy love on the other. And both are true. And if you don't know both, you don't really know the Father. Don't fear people. And I love that Jesus jumps to the most extreme thing that can do to us. Kill your body. Right? That's probably, probably the worst thing that someone can do to you is take your life. Okay? And, and Jesus says, what can man do to you? Kill you? Sure. Then what? Nothing. <laughs> For the Christian, physical death is not something to fear. In fact, the apostle Paul says that, he says, physical death is an upgrade. He says to die is gain. It means that I get to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. It's a reward. Tim, Tim Keller said, all death can now do to Christians is their lives infinitely better. In fact, when he was on his deathbed, moments before he died, he said to his family, there is no, there is no downside for me leaving. Not in the slightest. Jesus says, don't fear the one who can kill you physically because they can't do anything. All they're going to do is probably usher you into the presence of Jesus. But he says, what you should fear is spiritual death. Or more accurately, fear the one who can execute spiritual death. The one who can carry out spiritual death. Listen, one day we will die and face God who is the absolute and final authority to send you eternal punishment for our sins and rebellion against him. That's not exactly a popular opinion, is it? Nobody wants to hear this. But it's clearly what the Bible teaches. It's what Jesus teaches. It's what he believes. And he says that we should take this seriously. One day, 
God is going to separate humanity into those who feared him and responded accordingly and, and, and enter them into his arrest. And he's going to, then on the other hand, he's going to separate out those who didn't fear him and they're sent away for destruction. I don't like being the bearer of bad news, but this is what Jesus teaches. Do we fear him? Are we in awe of him? Do we have a right reverence for him? Do we approach him saying, I'm needy and I know that you have this, this immense power? But Jesus doesn't stop there because there's more to know about the Father. I think when I was growing up, um, I, was, I was in a church environment where I, I probably only learned about that side of the character. And that's important and real and true. But Jesus says, there's more to know about the Father. Jesus doesn't want us to be children who flinch every time our Father lifts his hand. And he, he makes clear that another side of learning to fear God, that we must also learn to appreciate and accept God's goodness. And this is where we get the comfort. Fear God, yes, but know that you're valued by him. You're valued by him. Verse 6, he says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. He says in verse 7, Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, for you have more value than many sparrows. See, he's just said, the Father, who has, who has the authority to cast into hell, he said, actually, the character of his heart is gentle compassion and care for his children. This is who he is. Jesus isn't trying to lessen the seriousness of this awesome God is. And if we don't know both aspects of him, know him, children certainly know what it's like to be disciplined by me, but they also know what it's like to be scooped up and kissed and cuddled and, and hugged by me. Now in Jesus' day, you could buy five sparrows for two pennies, he says. So in the eyes of people, they, they didn't have much value. But Jesus says, even these sparrows are precious in God's sight. He doesn't forget one of them. He knows and cares for each one, seemingly worthless creatures. And if God cares that way for sparrows, how much more does he care for his people? In fact, his care for his children is so particular that he even knows the numbers of hairs on your head. Yes, I know the jokes, okay? <laughs> Don't need to mention it. It's this, it's this kind of love that it's hard for us to understand, isn't it? The Father's love for you is not of this world. He wants, Jesus, I think, wants you to hear tell you this today. God loves you. <laughs> he loves you deeply. He loves you ferociously. You are valued by the one who has authority to cast into hell. And what's more important, being, being loved and valued by people who can just at the worst kill the body? We're being loved and valued by the one who has the authority to cast into hell. And because of this, Jesus says, fear not. This is the upside down nature of, of biblical fear, right? The result of fearing God is you enter life without fear. Fearing God results in a life of peace, being able to stand unafraid in the presence of God, knowing him and being known by him, enjoying his nearness. This is what it means to fear God. To fear God is to live without fear. Jesus has just presented us with two ways of life. Fear of man and his judgment or fear of God and his judgment. And we must choose. 
Because our physical death is not the end of the story, and God is the one who determines our eternal destination. But also because He is trustworthy and His love for us is steadfast, fearing Him actually leads to peace. Fearing, fearing what people think of you, that only just leads to more fear, doesn't it? It's to live a life of, of being perpetually afraid. But fearing God leads to peace and joy. Jesus says, I love this, he's talking about fear. I'll tell you who to fear in verse 5. But then in verse 7 he says, fear not. <laughs> I love this, of fearing God. You are more value than many sparrows who rest in his love. You can actually stop fearing man in death and judgment. You can stop caring what people think. And you can know that you are valued by the Father. So that's fear the Father. Next, Jesus says, fear the Son. We see this, Jesus says, and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will, will acknowledge before the angels of God. But who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. The fear of the Father leads to fear of the Son. And this fear enables us to acknowledge Jesus before others. What does that mean? What does it mean to acknowledge Jesus before others? Well, it's simply just having no problem identifying with Jesus around other people, right? Acknowledging Jesus before people is simply saying, I'm with Jesus, in whatever way that looks like. It's like wearing your team colors when you're surrounded by people from the opposition, right? From the opposite team. That phrase that Jesus says at the start of verse 8, and I tell you, it means rather or on the other hand. So what he's saying is that instead of fearing man, those who can kill your body, on the other hand, fear God, and this is what way of life looks like. Fearing God will, will look like boldly acknowledging and confessing Christ before the world. It works like this. Our Heavenly Father cares so deeply about seemingly in, insignificant creature sparrows that surely He will care for His disciples in their mission to bring good news and proclaim the kingdom and say, I'm with Jesus. He cares about us so much more than sparrows, so we go out with boldness. We can go and proclaim the gospel without fear. This is what Jesus is urging us to do. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, when you stop caring about what the world thinks and be bold in your confession of me, that, that shows your faith. It, re it reveals what's inside your heart, whether it's a fear of man or a fear of God. Now listen, I think this is so... Um, so important in, in our culture right now. I mean, long, long, long gone are the days when everybody was Christian in some shape or form. I mean, right now, we live in a society where, where people will think we're fools, idiots for following Jesus. And some will accuse us of, of backwards and, and dinosaurs and being on the wrong side of history for holding on to uh, what God says about life, whether that's sex and marriage, or for saying that every life is valuable, or, or um, for holding a biblical view on how to spend your money, or maybe it's just we're just weird because we go to church on a Sunday and sing and raise our hands, or what a waste of time, or whatever it may be. There's a lot that we will be accused of simply for identifying with Jesus. I'm sure you come across that. It's happened to me. Yeah, I'm a Christian, or with me, it's like, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, so you think this about X, Y, or Z. You hate this kind of person then. Or you must think that. There's a lot we will be accused of simply for a dying with Jesus. And here's the, if you want out of this, if you want an easy out, you can avoid that. You can, accusation, you can avoid the accusations simply by denying that you're a disciple of Jesus. Or simply by saying nothing at all. That's an easy out. If you want it, it's there for you. 
But Jesus says there is so much more to be gained by identifying with him. True disciples don't fear death. And this is crazy because most times I fear what somebody might say to me. Or even worse, I fear what they might just think in their own heads I'll never know about. Isn't that crazy that, I think, that we think that way? And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Acknowledge me. Confess me. Romans 10 verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But the eternal consequences for those who deny Christ is that, verse 9 he will deny them, which will be far worse than the persecution that they sought to avoid. Now, this isn't light teaching, is it? It's heavy. But it's heavy because it's so important. Again, Jesus doesn't teach to simply these people, but rather to open up our hearts to the truth. See, he wants us to be prepared. If an athlete is training to run a marathon, they, they don't take it easy and only run short distances. And they do hard. If a boxer is, is training for a fight, they don't, they don't just lift small weights and, and spar like two rounds. No, they go the distance. They train hard. And Jesus is saying, this is heavy because it's important. I'm training you to go the distance. I'm training you to win the fight, to finish the race. And so here comes the comfort. Jesus says, if we acknowledge him before people, he will acknowledge us before angels. How cool is this? This is incredible. Like sometimes we read these wee phrases that Jesus says and you're like, oh yeah, acknowledge us before angels. Then you're like, hang on a second, what? Jesus, in him, declaring to all the heavenly beings that we belong to him. Yeah, her, you see her? She's my sister. Yeah, him, he belongs to me. That's what Jesus does for us. How cool is that? This is the result of the, of the Son and identifying with Him among our friends and family and neighbors. Jesus does the same for us. We identify with Him, He identifies with us. We acknowledge Him, He acknowledges us. And He doesn't do it in the same way as us. This is no way, or a sometimes embarrassed way, or a sometimes fearful way, or a sometimes, ah, oh, I probably won't even say anything kind of way. Jesus identifies with us completely, all the time, without fear, without hesitation, without regret. In a way that cost him his life. In a way that led to death by torture. In a way that was to the very spirits of the dead. This is how Jesus acknowledges us. When we acknowledge him before people, he acknowledges us. So let's acknowledge him. This is what it means to fear the Son. And the, and, and, and the comfort is that he acknowledges us before the angels of God. Finally then, Fear the Holy Spirit. We've seen fear the Father. We've seen fear the Son. Now fear of the Holy Spirit. Verses 10 to 12. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now this idea of blaspheming the Holy Spirit it sometimes causes a lot of confusion, I think. And, and I think it's one of those misunderstood verses in the Bible. Because it seems that on one hand, Jesus makes a distinction between a very extreme blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and somehow it's less to blaspheme or deny Jesus. He says, when, um, 
anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you won't be forgiven. So how can it be that one is worse than the other? And so many people this passage and they think, oh my goodness, what is blaspheming the Holy Spirit? I want to make sure I avoid that because, because that's the unforgivable sin. But listen, we know that there is no unforgivable sin. We, we already did this when we confessed our sin together from First uh, John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. From all unrighteousness. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, he's given us a warning against this persistent and un, and persistent resistance against the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And particularly, his message concerning Jesus. So it's a bit like this. If, if I'm resisting what the Holy Spirit is bringing to me, since there is forgiveness to be found in Jesus, then how can I ever be forgiven? You see? It's like um, if someone's given you um, a, a meal voucher and they say, this meal voucher will get you your free dinner in wherever it may be. And, and, and you go, oh, that's great, but I don't really want that. Well, then you're just going to stay hungry, right? You're not going to be fed. You actually have to believe the voucher and go and come. There will be no forgiveness for the person who, who persists in hardening their heart against the work of the Holy Spirit because he is saying the Holy Spirit's job is to point us to Jesus all the time, pointing us to Jesus. So how can we be forgiven if we don't submit to him and listen to him and obey him? And, and listen, oh my goodness, am I going to be never forgiven because I've committed this sin? Well, I just want to say that that's evidence that you haven't committed this sin, that you are open to the work of the Spirit in your life, Right? If you have that concern, then, then you probably are fearing him in the right way. So you can be assured of your forgiveness. What Jesus is talking about on a deeper level is a relationship with God. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is what the Bible talks about. That, that God lives in us with his people by his Holy Spirit. Our relationship with God is not just one of, of being fearful of him. Oh, what's he going to What's he going to do next? No, it's, it's about God providing for us and leading us and guiding us and caring for us. And he does that because and through the Holy Spirit living in us and working in us. You see, it's about dependence on him as the only way forward. There's no other way except fearing God and depending on him through his Holy Spirit working on us in every step in our lives. And if we are resistant to that, if we don't give in to that, then of course we won't be forgiven. That's not the way to life. That's the way to death. But if we do submit to the Holy Spirit and listen to him and open him, he will guide us to life everlasting. The message here is for, for, for us who, who desire a life of, of total dependence on and intimacy with God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God will answer our prayers not just by meeting our provisions in life, but by sending his spirit and coming directly into your life to dwell with you. Jesus says to his disciples, look, I'm going to be gone soon. Don't resist this. He is me and I am him. And he's going to come and live with you. So when he comes, don't reject him. For us, this looks like a step-by-step -step relationship with God simply by depending on the Holy Spirit to lead us, total dependence on him in every scenario of our, our, our life as we are on that path towards life everlasting. Alternative is the way towards death. And Jesus then gives us an example of what this looks like in our lives. In verse 11, he says, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers 
and the authorities. Now notice that he doesn't say if they do this. He says when it happens. You see, he's preparing us for persecution. Me or any of us before the synagogue, we will be before the court of public opinion. That's just what happens as Christians. And when persecution comes our way, what does Jesus say? <laughs> I love this. You know, Jesus gets accused of a lot of things. In, in, in the middle of a sermon about fear, don't be anxious. Verse 12, do, do not be, verse 11, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This is the comfort. The Holy Spirit is always with us. That's the comfort. The fear, fear the Holy Spirit. The comfort is, He is always with us. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't fear the ones who can kill your body. Their opinions don't, don't matter. The only opinion that matters is, is that of your heavenly Father. Don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself. In fact, the point isn't to defend ourselves. The point is to acknowledge Jesus, right? We shouldn't be worried about defending ourselves. We should just be worried about, concerned with, Am I identifying with Jesus? Am I acknowledging him? Don't be anxious because the Holy Spirit will help you. He's going to give you the very words to say. He will guide you through the darkest valleys of your life. He is always with you. Now, isn't this a comfort? God loves you. He, he cares for you. And when we fear God, and, and therefore we acknowledge the Son before people, the Holy Spirit will give us the words we need to say. One of the biggest barriers to sharing the gospel I hear from people is, I wouldn't know what to say. Well, that's kind of not an excuse, right? Because Jesus says that you don't need to be anxious about that. You don't need to be anxious about that. The Holy Spirit, God himself, dwells in us, and in these moments, he will get the words to say. The other night, um, the other night I was at the pub watching the football, and afterwards I ran into, I, ran, I didn't run into him, um, I got chatting to a guy, and I told him that I was a Christian. And he, he, anyway, I had the opportunity to share the gospel. And he had this thing in his life. And, and I was like, I have literally no idea how to answer this. But somehow I did. Somehow the Holy Spirit did. And that's not to say anything about me. I'm an idiot. I didn't know what to say. But the Holy Spirit, up. There's no need to worry. There's no need to be afraid. We, our job is just to be faithful to Jesus. Be in awe of the Father. Be faithful to the Son. And the Holy Spirit will be with us always. This is, the, this is the comfort. That we are valued by him. He loves us. He is faithful to us. This is the upside down fear that the Bible teaches. When we rightly fear God, Father, Spirit, then we're released into a life without fear. fear. I do. When we fear God, uh, we receive a life of assurance that, that our Heavenly Father loves us and cares for us and that we are valued by Him. A life of assurance that Jesus Himself proclaims His acknowledgement of us in heaven. A life of assurance that His Spirit is with us always. So, so actually, when we come to these difficult passages and we hear hard things about fear in God, it's really good news, isn't it? It's actually good news. And I want to finish uh, with a story by C.S. Lewis. Um, one of my favorite scenes he wrote in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, it's, it's in the Silver Chair, um, which is one of the books, and the young girl, Jill, she's in, in the forest. She's thirsty, and she's walking around searching for water. She, she's faint with thirst, actually. She's desperate for water. 
And then she finds a stream. But as she approaches the stream, she stops dead in her tracks. And, and Lewis writes this. He says, Although the sight of water made her feel ten times thirstier than before, she didn't rush forward and drink. She stood still as if she had been turned into stone with her mouth wide open. And she had very good reason. Just on this side of the stream lay the lion. It lay with its head raised and its two forepaws out in front of it like the lions in Trafalgar Square. She knew at once seen her, for its eyes looked straight into hers for a moment and then turned away, as if it knew her quite well, but didn't think much of her. If I run away, it'll be after me in a moment, thought Jill, and if I go on, I shall run straight into its mouth. Anyway, she couldn't have moved as she had tried, and she couldn't take her eyes off it. How long this lasted, she could not be sure. It seemed like hours. And the thirst became so bad that she almost felt she would not mind being eaten by the lion if only she could have getting a mouthful of water first. If you're thirsty, you may drink. For a second, she stared here and there, wondering who had spoken. Then the voice said again, If you're thirsty, come and drink. And she realized that it was the lion speaking. Anyway, she had seen its lips move this time, and the voice was not like a man's. It was deeper, wilder, and stronger, a sort of heavy, golden voice. It didn't make her any less frightened than she had been before, but her frightened in a rather different way. Are you not thirsty? said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I, could I, would you mind going away while I do, said the lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was, you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Do you eat girls, she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream. There is no other stream, said the lion. And it never occurred to Jill to disbelieve the lion. No one who had seen his stern face could do that. And her mind suddenly made itself up. It was the worst thing she ever had to do. But she went forward to the stream, knelt down, and began scooping up water in her hand. It was the coldest, most refreshing water she had ever tasted. You didn't need to drink much of it, for it quenched your thirst at once. Listen, church, if we approach God without fear and trembling and awe and reverence, then we will be devoured. But if we approach him with reverence and awe, he will satisfy our deepest desires because the consequences of not fearing God are, are, are greater than we can imagine. But the rewards of fearing him are greater still. Come Holy Spirit, let's pray. Father, we want to just acknowledge and confess that, that we carry so much misplaced fear. We... we, we, we are anxious about what people think of us. We're scared of physical death. All these things that, that, that keep us awake at night make us worry. Lord, I pray just through your Holy Spirit working in us that we would learn how to fear you properly. Thank you, Lord, that fearing you leads not to a life of more fear, but a life without fear, a life free of anxiety. 
Father, may we be like Jill in the story and, and, and see your awesomeness and your power and your majesty and terribleness and move towards your life-giving stream. Father, may we submit to the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit in our lives and let him lead us on the path to life. Father, may we do this as we come to the table now, knowing that, that you have taken on that judgment for us so that we can be free and that we can, be, that we can live. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. The terrifying judgment of God is seen at the cross of Jesus, but also so is the, 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 the deep and